0: Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. I want you to turn in your Bible, if you will, please, to John's Gospel, the Gospel of John, chapter 4. John's Gospel, chapter 4. <clears throat> it's good to see Kathy with us this morning. It has been a long time. Uh, And her daughter is here with her as well. Welcome. Good to see you again. Many of you remember Kathy, her husband Ted uh, Jarrett, who was, uh, they were members of our church a long time back. And then uh, just as Ted was getting his feet on the ground here in the church and was excited about uh, doing educational work in the church, the Lord took him home. But uh, bless his heart, he's in a better place. And we rejoice. You know, God knows what he's doing. And we miss Ted. We've missed Kathy. It's good to have you back. Marte is with us this morning from the North Country. She's come down, Marty Johnson, uh, Loretta's mom. And it's good to see you again, Marty. Uh, good to have you with us in worship service. It's good to see uh, all of you here this morning. Mike and Yvonne Finch, good to see you, John. It's good to have you back with us. John has been down in series goofing off, uh, doing the thing. He he. Um, this was this is Karen that I was talking to you about. Yeah, he works for Betancourt, and he's met with Eric uh, out there. So uh, we've got connections all over the place. It's good to have you with us in worship this morning. John chapter 4. We're all well aware of the fact that Jesus surrounded himself with men that he would train to minister along with him the gospel and the kingdom of God. We also know that Jesus had women that followed with him, women who played an important role in his public ministry. Now, we know that Jesus didn't include women in the twelve disciples, but he did not prevent women From being disciples uh, of his that followed along with him and the twelve from time to time to to do additional work uh, with Jesus. One of the things that we fail to grasp uh, because we don't know the cultural uh, background of the days and the times in which Jesus lived. But Jesus treated women with the utmost respect because women in the days of Jesus did not have the kind of respect, did not have the kind of honor uh, that God created them to have. As a matter of fact, in many instances, women were treated as property. They were just a notch or two above uh, flocks and herds. But that was not the attitude of Jesus toward women. He treated them with great respect. And he expressed this respect by often calling them gyne, Gyne, a Greek word which means, uh, in our vernacular, dear lady or madam. Uh, he gave them titles of respect and titles of... Of honor. Two of Jesus' closest friends were Mary and Martha, sisters of Lazarus, who was also a dear friend to Jesus. And you'll recall it was Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead when Mary and Martha called upon him. Martha was a woman of great faith, she believed that Jesus indeed was the Christ sent by God to save Israel. Her sister Mary was a devoted follower of Jesus, more sensitive uh, to the emotional sides of Jesus than Martha was. But Mary was the one who anointed his feet with costly ointment and then dried his feet with her hair. Mary Magdalene was another woman that became a devoted follower of Jesus. It was from her that Jesus cast out seven demons. And from that moment on, she loved Jesus with all of her heart and with all of her life. She was there at the cross when Jesus was crucified. She was the first one to the tomb three days after the crucifixion. And she was the first person that the resurrected Jesus revealed himself to and told her to go and tell the others that he indeed is risen from the dead. There was an unnamed woman who anointed the feet of Jesus with her tears and with expensive perfume when Jesus was asked to dinner at the home of Simon the Pharisee. Her sacrifice was an expression of her deepest and sincerest gratitude. To Jesus for forgiving her of her sins. In John chapter four, we have the account of another woman who was important to the ministry of Jesus. Her name is not given to us in the Bible, but tradition calls her Photina. Photina. We know her as the Samaritan woman. At Jacob's well. From her encounter with Jesus, I want us to learn five lessons, five lessons regarding personal evangelism. Evangelism the way Jesus did it. And from his encounter with her, we can understand a lot about personal evangelism in our own lives. I want us to look at John chapter 4. I'll not have you stand because I'm going to read a fairly lengthy passage, but follow along as I read from John chapter 4. When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. I want you to note that verse 4. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sukkar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour which would be noon. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water So I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You've well said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. "'Jesus said to her, "'I who speak to you am he.'" And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, "'What do you seek?' Or, "'Why do you speak with her?' So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, "'Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it?' They went out of the city." And we coming to him. In the meantime, the disciples were requesting him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples, therefore, were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. And from that city many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you've said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. And after two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. This is the word of God. May he add his blessing to the reading of the word. 5. Important lessons from this text. Now, there are many other lessons that we could draw from this text, but we don't have all day. I do want to point out to you those points that are necessary for us in the development of our own personal evangelism that Jesus Christ has called each of us to conduct. The first lesson is this the importance of divine appointments. The importance of divine appointments. Look again at verses 1 through 4. When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea, departed again unto Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Why? did he have to pass through Samaria? Was it because it was the quickest route from Judea to Galilee? Well, yes, it was. But was that the reason why Jesus had to pass through Samaria? Was it because Jesus knew that the Pharisees wouldn't follow him and harass him in Samaritan territory. That was forbidden territory for the upstanding Jewish elite. That was pagan territory. They would be defiled if they had walked through Samaria. So was it that Jesus went into Samaria so that uh, he could get some relief from the Pharisees? I don't think so. Was it because Jesus needed to get some peace and quiet from the crowds, from everyone else that were, were clamoring uh, for Jesus to heal uh, themselves or heal their loved ones or their friends? I don't think so. Jesus needed to go through Samaria because a woman was there that needed to meet him. A woman was there that needed to meet him. Now, she didn't know this, but Jesus knew this. From her encounter with Jesus, her life would be forever changed. We'll talk a little bit more about this woman in just a few moments. Little did she know the day that she woke up, That she would meet an individual who would radically change her life. A woman that was marginalized. A woman who was criticized, who was looked down upon. A woman that other women would have nothing to do with. Jesus meeting this Samaritan woman at Jacob's well was a divine appointment. Now, a divine appointment is a meeting that God arranges between a Christian and another person whom the Holy Spirit has prepared to hear and to receive the gospel. A divine appointment is a meeting that God arranges through his Holy Spirit, God arranges between a Christian and another person whom the Holy Spirit has prepared to hear and to receive the gospel. Again, this woman did not know anything about Jesus, but Jesus knew everything about this woman. This woman did not know that Jesus was going to be at Jacob's well that morning when she left her home to draw water. But Jesus knew that woman would meet with him at that well. Divine appointment. They're, they are things that you and I need to pray the Holy Spirit will create for us. Will bring us... In our daily walk People whom the Holy Spirit has been speaking to People whom the Holy Spirit has, uh, has awakened their interest In the gospel of Jesus Christ And that the Holy Spirit would bring that person across our pathway That we might be able to speak to them about the Lord. Now there is a place for mass evangelism and there is a place for group evangelism but there is also a place in every Christian's life for divine appointments. Someone that the Holy Spirit will lead you to that you may be able to talk to that person about Jesus Christ. People do not come to saving faith In Jesus Christ accidentally or incidentally. People come to saving faith in Jesus Christ intentionally. They come to saving faith intentionally. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Look at Romans chapter 10 with me. Verses 13, 14, and 15. Romans chapter 10. Verses 13, 14, and 15. The Apostle Paul quoting from the Old Testament in Romans ten thirteen fourteen 14, and 15. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings. God arranges divine appointments in people's lives and sends Believers to those individuals so that they might declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. People do not wake up in the morning and say, Oh, I think I'll believe in Jesus today. I think I'll become a Christian today. That rarely, if ever, happens. But more often than not, people are brought to saving faith in Jesus Christ by the personal witness of someone that they know or that they come to know. And it is arranged, it is brought to pass by the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman was indeed a divine appointment. God, I believe, is preparing people for you to meet. God is preparing people for you to go and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. And again, I would urge you to pray that the Holy Spirit of God will lead you to those divine appointments. Lesson two. The gospel of Jesus Christ is meant for everyone. The gospel of Jesus Christ is meant for... For everyone. Look at verse 9. Jesus, meeting this woman, asked for a drink of water. And notice her response. I guess I need to get back to John chapter 4. Notice her response. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now understand, in the days of Jesus, at this particular moment, Jesus was violating three cultural laws of his day. First of all, men were not supposed to speak to women in public. Second, Jews were to have nothing to do with Samaritans. And third, upstanding Jews did not associate with sinners. This was a woman, and she acknowledged, why are you speaking to me? Because she understood the cultural mores of the day, that Jewish men were not supposed to speak to women in public. Jewish men were not supposed to have anything to do with Samaritans. Men, Jewish men, were not to have any dealings with known sinners. We live in a day, do we not, where social norms and political correctness has paralleled, for the most part, has paralleled the laws of the Pharisees in the days of Jesus. We tend to judge other people based on stereotypes, based on customs, based upon certain prejudices. Do we not? Yes, we do. But Jesus treated people as individuals, He truly treated people for who they were as someone God had created and given life to. And he ministered to them with love and with compassion. He was unlike the high elders of his day that looked down upon people that were not as religious as they were religious, who were not as pure as they were pure, who were not as disciplined in the law of God as they were disciplined in the law of God. Jesus was not like that. He was not bound by cultural norms or by religious or political restraints. He ministered to those whom the Father had him minister to. Jesus said in Luke 19 and verse 10, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, not to be politically correct or culturally or religiously sacrosanct. Jesus didn't put on airs. His heart went out to people who needed to know that God loved them And that God has provided a means whereby they could enter into his kingdom. Where they could experience the joy of the forgiveness of sin. Where they might know God through his son Jesus Christ. And have the gift of eternal life that only he can provide. As far as the Jews were concerned, the Samaritans were on their way down the road to hell. And there was nothing that they could do, nor was there anything they wanted to do to change that. And I know people who have that same attitude today about other folks. And I've heard people say, none of you of course, but I've heard people say, let the individual go. Don't try to intervene. Don't try to change that person's mind. Don't try to change that person's life. Just let that person go. Let him get his comeuppance in due time. The Samaritans were sinners of the worst sort in the minds of the Jews. They were beneath even mentioning in much of their conversations. You see, they were, they were half-breeds. They had intermarried back when uh, the northern ten tribes of Israel were conquered by the Assyrians. Some of them stayed behind and they intermarried with the Assyrians that were left there by their king to repopulate the area. That was something that they were commanded in Scripture not to do. Mosaic law said that they were not to intermarry with pagan people. But the Samaritans were the product of the intermarriage of the Jews with the Assyrians and with other nationalities of the region. They were beneath the Jews because their religion was a hybrid religion. They had the Mosaic law, but they only honored those parts of Mosaic law that they agreed with, and the rest of it they ignored. And they also adopted the doctrines of some of the pagan religions of the peoples that lived around them. They were beneath the dignity or the mention of the Jews because They knew the Jews hated them. And they hated the Jews in return. But Jesus had to go to Samaria. Because the Father had arranged a divine appointment. Bringing me to lesson number three. No one is beyond God's love to save. And I I really wish that we would grasp that. We say that. But I don't know that many of us really believe that. There is no person beyond God's love to save. Even politicians, you say? Even politicians. No one is beyond God's love to save. Jesus said to the woman in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God... She's a Samaritan now. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given it to you. No one is beyond God's love to save. This woman was marginalized by her own people. In the eyes of the Jews, she was the worst of the worst. She was a Samaritan. She was a woman. And she was an adulteress. I would imagine in the minds of most Jews in her day, she would have been beneath the level of the dogs. That's why... She was getting her water at midday rather than in the morning with the other women. Even the women of uh, Sukkar had nothing to do with her. She was despised by her own people. Now, something that we do not need to do, dear friends, but something that we find ourselves doing from time to time, we want to psychoanalyze people. Do we not? We want to say, well... This woman is in the situation that she's in because she doesn't know how to keep a man. Been married five times and the person she's living with, the man she's living with, is not her own husband. What's wrong with this woman that she cannot keep a man? Why can't this woman be an honorable person, an upstanding person? among her peers what's wrong with her that that others would despise her uh is it because she despises herself what's wrong with her that she wouldn't marry the man that she is living with is it because she's flunked out five different times and doesn't want to risk it again where's her moral standing where is her you know where are her values What is wrong with this woman that she would be the kind of woman that she is? Who's to blame for messing up her life? You know, that's what we want to do with people, don't we? We want to, we want to, and sometimes we will do it before we even speak to them, before we even meet them. We'll size them up by their posture, by the way that they walk, by the way they hold their head, by the way they look in their eyes. We want to judge people before we even meet them. We don't need to psychoanalyze people. And we don't need to psychoanalyze this woman. All we need to know is what Jesus knew about her. That she was spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. That was all that was necessary to know. And that is all that is necessary for you and I to know about the vast majority of people that live around us. They may want to tell us certain things about them. They may want to excuse certain things failures in their lives they may want to try to explain away why they are the way they are but that is not necessary for us to know what is necessary for us to know is that each and every individual we meet needs to meet jesus they need to meet jesus by virtue of the fact that lives are messed up tells us that they need to meet jesus In Romans chapter 3, look at verses 10 through 18. Romans chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, again speaking to the Roman Christians... He says, As it is written, there are none righteous, no, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an, op- is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth? Is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the vast majority of people that you and I meet in the course of a day. People who are lost in sin, people who are dead spiritually. In trespasses and sin. All we need to know about a person is that they need Jesus. All we need to know about a person is to know what Jesus knew about God. And that is that he loved them enough to send his son to die on the cross to save them. John 3:16, all of us know that passage of scripture, but look at it again, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. And dear friends, I would submit to you if that was his mission, that's our mission. If that was the purpose for which God sent His Son into the world, then that's the reason why He has saved us. Not that we would judge other people for the mistakes that they've made in life, for the way that they look, from the background that they've had, by their skin color, by their language, by their culture, but to know that God loves them and desires to save them from the sin that has ruined their lives. Jesus knew all about this woman. But greater than knowing her sin, he knew God's love to save her. He knew God's love to save her. Listen, friends. Jesus loves the sinner more than the sinner loves his sin. Jesus loves the sinner more than the sinner loves his sin. And that's the message that we've got to get across to people. God loves you more than the sins of your life. And he is able to save you from the judgment that will come as a result of those sins. If you will only look to his son Jesus Christ. Now you know the story here. Immediately the woman was converted. Immediately the woman was saved. How do we know that? She left her water pot. She left Jesus. And she ran back to town to tell the men that she had met someone who knew everything about her. With joy and with great excitement, she went to tell other people about Jesus Christ. The conversion of her soul was immediate. New life was given to her. That living water that she wanted, Jesus Christ gave it to her. Which brings me to lesson four. Anyone can be a witness for Jesus. Anyone can be a witness for Jesus. Look at verses 28 and 29. John 4, verses 28 and 29. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? Come and see a man who told me the things that I have done. Anyone can be a witness for Jesus. And how do I know that? Because all of us have a story to tell, don't we? Yes. All of us have a story to tell. It may not amount to a New York Times bestseller. It may be more in line with what John Carpenter can use in one of his horror flicks, but all of us have a story to tell. This woman had a story to tell. She told the people what the people already knew about her. Nothing new under the sun here. We know all about you, lady. So you're not telling us anything that we don't already know. But that's not the point. The point was not the story that she had to tell about herself. The point was the story that she had to tell about Jesus. And that's always the point, dear friends. I think sometimes we get hung up in how bad our, our past was uh, on the sins of our lives. We, we want to paint a dark uh, uh, story about uh, who we are to, to try to to glamorize or to even uh, uh, bring a greater glory to the salvation that Jesus gives us. But it's not necessary for us to go into the sordid details of our sinful past. What's important is to get people to Jesus. My story is not that important to you or to anyone else. But what Jesus has done in my life and through my life is important. It's important for people to hear that God, through Jesus Christ, can change lives. Because there are a lot of people in our world today who believe they can never change. There are a lot of people who in our world today are like this woman. Marriage after marriage after marriage after marriage. It just doesn't seem to work. Something is wrong. I can't make it work. What is wrong with me? And there are people who've given up on themselves like this woman. She goes out day after day to draw water by herself. And I'm sure she's thinking as she's going out to the well by herself. What is wrong with me? Why do I live this life that I live? Why don't I just die and get it over with? This life is not worth living. There are a lot of people who feel that way about themselves. But it's because they've not met Jesus. They've not met the one who gave them life to begin with and the one who can give them new life if they will simply meet with Him. Her story was not about herself. It was about Jesus. Notice what she says to the men. This is not the Christ, is it? She was excited about this man that she met out at the well. And she's telling the men in her own words, Why don't you come out and meet him for yourself? Come and see for yourself. Let him speak to you like he spoke to me. I'm convinced, friends, that we make witnessing far too complicated We make sharing our faith far too complicated. My father used to say witnessing for Jesus is simply telling a hungry man where to find bread. It needs to be that simple. Being a witness for Jesus is just simply telling a hungry man where to find bread. We think that we have to have all of these points and all of these rules and all of these passages of Scripture memorized. And that's not bad. We need to have a a, a spiritual bank of, of God's Word in our heart and in our mind. But when it comes right down to it, dear friends, talking to another person about salvation is simply talking to another person about Jesus the one who died on the cross, so that you could have eternal life in his kingdom. That's it. That's all. We tell people about Jesus. And then we leave the saving work up to the Holy Spirit. We plant the seed. Someone may come along in water, but it's the Lord Who harvests the souls. We don't save anyone. We leave that up to the Holy Spirit. To give them new birth in Jesus Christ. Look at verses 39 and 40. And from that city. Many of the Samaritans believed in him. Because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to him. They were asking him to stay with him. And he stayed there Two days, and that's how you know. That's how you know when people are genuinely saved. That's how you know when the seeds of the gospel have indeed taken root in the heart and in the mind of a person. They want Jesus to stay with them, and they want to stay with Jesus. I know sometimes, dear friends, it's been my experience, maybe it's been your experience as well. You go out and you knock on a door and and someone answers the door and they find out that you're there to talk to them about religion and they don't want to have anything to do with it. And you tell them about Jesus and you share a few gospel uh, tracts or you share some passages of scripture, yeah, 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 so on and so forth, yeah, 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 this, that, and the other. And it's almost you feel, like they, you feel like they're agreeing with you just to get you off the doorstep so they can get on with their life. But an individual who truly comes to faith in Jesus Christ, their life is changed. It's no longer about their life and how messed up it is. It's about the new life that Christ has given them. And they don't want that to end. They want to stick with Jesus. And they want Jesus to stick with them. These people wanted Jesus to stay with them. And Jesus stayed with them for two more days. And that's lesson number five genuine salvation develops a hunger in the heart and in the mind of a person for Jesus. Jesus is not in the dip them and drop them business like most churches are. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20 of the Great Commission, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them, baptizing them, In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's it. Teaching them to observe all that He has commanded us. When people are truly saved, they want to know more about Jesus. They will beg you to sit and talk with them. And to stay with them. And to help them come to a greater understanding of their new life in Christ. You won't have to beg those people to come to church. You won't have to beg those people to be a part of a prayer group or a ministry. You won't have to beg those people to become a part of a Bible study group. They will want to be there. They hunger for it. They have a desire to experience all they can experience in the Lord. Beloved, it is my desire, it is truly my desire for this church to come back to that place where personal evangelism is the order for the day. We don't need to wait for a program. We don't need to wait for a new ministry to develop. We don't need to wait for the next thing that comes out of Nashville or out of Atlanta or from wherever uh, we get our materials. We don't need to wait for anything else created or put together by men in order to be an effective witness for Jesus. We have all that we need. His name is the Holy Spirit. And we have what people need to know. His name is Jesus. All we need to do is just be faithful to the Lord and be open and available to the leading of the Holy Spirit to take us to the people that He has prepared to receive the gospel from our lips. This woman, she didn't wait to be trained in evangelism explosion. She didn't wait for someone to give her the packet on continuous witness training. She didn't even have a Bible. Nor did she take the time to learn passages of Scripture that she could go back and talk to people. She just went back and told them about Jesus. He's here. Come out and meet Him. And judge for yourself. Personal evangelism does not have to be complicated. It can be as simple as telling a hungry man where to find bread. And so I want us to pray again that the Holy Spirit will move upon us as a congregation to engage in personal evangelism there is someone you know that needs to know about jesus pray for that individual continue to pray for that individual and allow the holy spirit then to move upon you to speak to that individual when the time is right in his timing and then go and be faithful to the lord in sharing his gospel stand with me if you will please David is going to come and lead us in a song.
1: I'm going to change it up after your sermon. And then we'll di- be dismissed. All right? We know it as a children's song. I started our Bible study this morning with this information. The children's song, Jesus Loves Me. Yeah. Two eternal doctrinal truths that never change start that song... Jesus loves everyone. The Bible tells us so. Yeah. The Word of God. And although we may seem, see it as a children's song, it really is the heartbeat of every believer and every fellowship that proclaims Jesus Christ, King of kings mm-hmm. and Lord of lords. So we're going to end this morning with this. <laughs> Jesus loves me, this I know For the Bible tells me so little. For those of us who think little ones are little ones, the Apostle John called believers little ones. Mm. Right. That's what he called us. We are little ones because we serve a big God. Amen. Thank Amen. you for that sermon this morning.
0: Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Bless us now as we go out into the fields which are white unto harvest. And may we be mindful, Father, that you are the one sending us out into that harvest may we be faithful stewards of the wisdom and the knowledge that you have given to us and may we go out Father and tell your story to those who need to hear about your son Jesus Christ to your honor and to your glory I ask and all of God's people said Amen, Amen. God bless you and have a great day in the Lord
1: His name.